Hey, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to have you here. I realized I've been missing a couple lamps at home the last week or so. Now I found out why. So you might want to check yours too. So um, I appreciate the creativity that goes into this stuff. I have nothing to do with that. So, so I'm thankful for creative people that do so and all the work they do. So um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. That's where we're going to be studying all this fall is the gospel of Mark, even actually all the way to Easter, and really taking a look at who Jesus really is. So, and like Jenny mentioned earlier, there's a study guide that goes along with it. Some of these passages are going to be too long for us to go through every verse, and so those study guides are a great way to keep up with us each week and to learn together. Uh, from the Gospel of Mark, so about Jesus. That'd be awesome. So let's say on the foyer, I told you that right after the service, there's going to be three kiosks, and uh, there's an invitation for you to join these three different movements. Okay, the first one, let's say after this service, Kirk Ferentz is going to be at a kiosk over there, and he's looking for kind of some people just to kind of walk through the season with him, because I don't know if you know this, but let's say somehow we were told that this would be a year that they're going to actually run the table, they're going to go undefeated, and they're going to win the national championship and defeat Alabama by like four touchdowns. And so it's going to be historic, epic, like never again in Hawkeye history. And he's honestly inviting like any of you that just want to go with him through this season, all the meetings, all the film studies, just a behind the scenes walk through the first championship in a long time at Iowa, right? That, so go to that kiosk. There's another kiosk out there in the foyer, and who are, I know bands are so, there's such a wide range in bands in this room. So like your favorite band, whoever that is, your favorite musician, like he's out there, she's out there at a kiosk and just beginning the most epic world tour ever and just looking for people just to kind of come. Even if you can't sing, you can't play anything, you just get to be a part of that. So just go sign up with that person out there. And then wouldn't this one be awesome? There's a third kiosk and there's a team of researchers from the university that that they've got it. Like they've got the cure to cancer. Like we're just right, like in a month, it's going to be finalized. We're going to go public. We're going to start distributing this all around the world. Guys, and even if you have not a lick, maybe you failed chemistry, maybe you, like whatever, we need you on this team, like just to be a, a part of this whole movement. Like if that's your kiosk out there, like man, those, I mean, and we could keep building kiosks out there, but like wouldn't that, wouldn't that be awesome, like, to, to any of those, like, in, especially the cancer one, like, there are causes that would just turn our heads and just light up our hearts and go, yeah, I want to go do that, so what I want to share with you this morning is there, there is an invitation, actually, to every one of us in the room this morning to be a part of something way bigger than ourselves, something that is going to last way longer than your life on this planet, something that's going to shake and impact all of eternity. And this Jesus that Mark introduced us to last week, the Son of God who has come to be with us, you're going to see this morning, is inviting us to follow him. He's inviting us to be a part of what he's doing. In the last 10 years, 300 million people all over the planet have had their lives completely flipped and are following Jesus now. If today's an average day, 175,000 people worldwide, that's what, two or three Kinnicks, two and a half Kinnicks, are following Jesus. In some of the hardest and some of the most remote places today, the Middle East, China, like it, Jesus is moving and rolling. And so this morning, you're going to see clearly from Mark that Jesus invites, invites you to follow him, invites you to be part of this. And, and what's 
the problem with that is, is that for a lot of us this morning, that's like, meh, yeah, cool. <laughs> and that's an, that, I'll just be blunt, that's an us problem, not a Jesus problem, right? So when we have that day where we will actually see who Jesus is and what he's been doing and what heaven's like, we're going to go like, wow, that is astonishing. That is awesome. And so my prayer this morning is we're going to watch Jesus invite just four average guys. He's going to invite them to follow him. And then we're going to see what that first day or two was like of following Jesus. And my, my, my hope this morning is that we would just clarify what that means. Like, what is Jesus inviting us to? What does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to be a disciple? All those kind of things. As we just walk through, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible, just, just watching Jesus do his thing. Okay, so let me pray, and then let's, just, let's jump into this. So before I speak, though, could you, like just, you, I know, if you're like me, you came in here this morning, there's a ton of things on your mind. Could you just right now just ask, uh, Jesus, would you show me something new about who you are? Would you show me something new about who you are and how awesome you are? And then could you pray for me? Could you pray that I would be clear, that I would stay out of the way, and that I would just teach God's word today as clearly as possible? Jesus, we love you. I believe you're here. I believe you want to speak to your people. So could you do that clearly through your word today? In your name we pray, amen. So Mark chapter 1, verse 16, is where we're going to start. And so it says, uh, passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. And going on a little further, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. Okay, here's what's going on. Um, Jesus' public ministry on the earth lasted about three years. For the first 18 months, if you string all the gospels together and lay them side by side, John chapter one through chapter five kind of summarizes Jesus' first 18 months of doing ministry. And during that time, he met Simon and Andrew, and they believed in him. They believed that he was the son of God. So now we're about 18 months. Jesus has 18 months left before his crucifixion and before he goes to heaven. And what you see Jesus intentionally do in these 18 months is what we're going to see through the gospel of Mark, that Jesus is going to call a team of people to come around him, and he's going to teach them. And so this invitation to uh, these four, two sets of brothers, all fishermen, was that Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me. Okay, so you believe in me now, you know who I am, but I want you to follow me. And I'm saying this morning that the, true, the same invitation is out for us, that a lot of us this morning, maybe you came to church because you believe Jesus is God and you, you know who he is, but I think some of us miss that next step that Jesus says, okay, it's good that you know who I am, but I want you to follow me. I, I want you to see who I am day by day as you do your life, I want you to follow me. And if this morning you're here and you don't necessarily believe who Jesus is, you are totally welcome. Like this is a great time 
to be coming to Parkview because we're just going to be studying who Jesus is. So please take your time and sift through and pray about, okay, Jesus, who, who is Jesus, okay? So, but what Jesus invited these guys to do was follow him. In our world today, in church world, we call this discipleship, that, these, that Jesus is inviting these men to be his disciples. Today, that's kind of a church word. You think of disciple, you think about a church word. In Jesus' day, that was a very common word. Like today, it'd be like the word apprenticeship. Like if you wanted to become the best electrician there is, you find another electrician who's nailing it and you apprentice yourself to him or her. Like you study with them, you spend time with them and you're just with them and they're teaching you the trade. What Jesus is inviting these guys to do is, I'm inviting you to come and let, just, just live with me. The day after day, be with me, follow me and let me show you, let me show you how to live this life. So the basic invitation that's out there for all of us from Jesus is, I want to apprentice you. Jesus says, I want to teach you. I want to teach you how to live your life. I want to teach you to be um, the best dad, the best mom, the best teacher, the best student. Like, I just want you to follow me. Let me teach you how to do this. Isn't that awesome? In Jesus' day, if there was a teacher that you wanted to apprentice from, you would have to go find them and, and plead and say, could I possibly follow you? Could I, could I be you? Jesus just kind of flipped that. And he went to these you. Jesus just kind of flipped that. And he went to these guys that are just fishing. And he, he, he invited them. Hey, follow me. Uh, follow me. Come, come be apprenticed. Did they put, like, it'd be like, oh, about, does that mean Jesus saying, everybody stop being what you are and you're supposed to be a pastor? Don't get hung up on that. I, I think what he's inviting them to is a new priority. There's, I want you to rearrange your life so that I can teach you on a regular basis. I want you to follow me so I can train you. And so they immediately left their nets and they followed him. And I want us to catch a couple things. First is that um, if we are if we are truly following Jesus, I hope you see it's embedded right in there. If you're truly following Jesus, other people are going to be blessed. It's not just for us to follow Jesus. Follow me and I will cause you to be a fisher of men. Because you are following me, other people will start following me too. Other people will start finding out who I am. These guys are all fishermen, so they know like their way of fishing is in not just getting in a boat, paddle out to the middle, and sit and wait for fish to jump in the boat. Like these guys are smart. They know that's not what that meant. So it's going to take, like Jesus is saying, follow me, and then you watch. I'm going to use you, and I'm going to do things in your life that's going to help other people follow me as well. So we've got to clear up a couple of things. Okay, first of all, there are, I feel like, and there may be some times this morning you feel like I'm mashing on toes. I'm, I'm not. I'm calling us to something that Jesus is calling us to. It is not enough for us to come and be on a Sunday morning and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Like, that's, that's good. That's awesome. But there's more. Like, he's, he's inviting you not just to, like, once a week check in and reaffirm that you believe in Jesus, but he's inviting you to a day-by-day following and walking with him, all right? It's a, whole, it's a whole new level that I just honestly wonder how many of us are, are there? How many of us are really following him? Not, not just believing, but following. It's, a, it's an amazing invitation. And again, if that sounds boring to us, that's more on our end than his end, right? So, but that's, I want to get that clear. And another thing I've got to clear up is this, that if you start following him, 
this, uh, it's going to be hard. I just got to say this. Like, if you're following him, sometimes our concept of following him is so that we'll be protected, so that we'll be safe. It'll be good for me. Oh, it'll be good for, and I just, again, mashing toes. Here we go. Like, I was at a meeting a couple weeks ago, and there were maybe about eight sets of parents. Uh, some were from, most were from other churches, which is a good thing. I'm not dissing anybody or any. But we were there, and, and there was a youth leader asking, what, what do you look for from our, for your kids in our, in our ministry this year? And, um, you know, the other voices around the circle, oh, I want my son to grow closer to Jesus. It's like, yeah, it's good. I want my son to make Christian friends so that he makes it through high school without, it's like, yeah. And then there was, like, not much else. And I just, like, the, the silence was killing me. It was just like, you know what? I also want a place where my son is going to learn how, like, I want this to be a place that his friends can come that don't know Jesus, that, that this is a place where my son can be prepared to, to go and help others follow Jesus too, you know? Like, so, so be careful because sometimes I got to ask you, like, in your Christian rhythm, so go to church, maybe in a Bible study, maybe your kids are in this ministry. Can I just bluntly ask, who is being influenced by that outside of the church? Who, who at, you know, at the end of eternity would say, it was a good thing for me. Like somebody doesn't even know Jesus today. It was a good thing for me that you went to those services, that you went to that group, that you learned the Bible, because, because of those things, you reach out to me, and I know Jesus now. Following Jesus is not like this little clump in a holy huddle. Following Jesus means he's going to make you a fisher of men. That's discipleship. Because Jesus knew he had 18 months, and then he's going back to heaven. So he needed a group that he could teach them to fish for men so that when he leaves, they could do it. And any of us that are following Jesus today are here, and we heard the gospel because those people took that seriously, and they did it. And they lived their lives in a way that other people learned about Jesus, and other people, and other people. And here we are today, all right? So that's what following Jesus is going to look like. Like, that's the end zone. Wherever you are on the field right now, that's what Jesus wants to do with you. And you say, well, I can't do that. I'm so it's like, that's okay. It's okay. He says, I will make you a fisher of men. Your job is to follow me. Just start following me. And then you watch what I do in your life, okay? So you could ask me, let me ask a couple questions. Are you really following Jesus then? Are you following are you following Jesus? And second, who, who in your life is being blessed because you're following Jesus, okay? You could ask the question, okay, how do we make disciples at Parkview? How, how does this church make disciples? I would say it's a one-two punch. Step one is what you're doing. We gather, we worship, we celebrate Jesus, we do this together so we can fire each other up. We study the Bible so that we understand who Jesus is and we can live the way he wants us to live. Guys, and a lot of you, that's what you do every week, and that's awesome. Can I, can I also say that there's an important part too? It's like, which wing of the airplane do you want to fly on today? I want them both. So it's the same thing about discipleship. Do I want to just come and worship? Yeah, that's important. But the other wing of the plane, you guys, is that there's got to be a place in your week, in your month, where you are gathering with other Christians, and they are praying for you, and you are helping each other apply what you've heard preached. You're praying for each other in our battles with sin, and then together, you are praying about how can we reach the people who don't know Jesus today. 
Jesus did not set up a system where he brought 12 disciples together and he just kind of kept them all separately doing their own thing throughout the week and he'd gather them once a week and teach them a lesson and then just kind of let them go do their thing. That's not what Jesus did. And that, you don't see that anywhere in the, in the New Testament. What God does is he brings his people together, proclaim the word of God, then be in each other's lives, live, live you know, life with each other so that then together we can be fishers of men. That's how we make disciples at Parkview, that's how we're trying to follow Jesus together. If you slipped in late and missed the two-minute video about the Saturate Conference, I would just highly recommend you, I hope we spread that on our social media platforms this week, but that's a conference that talks exactly about what I'm talking about, where for about six or eight hours in a weekend, if you can only make part of that, it would be still worth it for you, but to just inject into our church that DNA that God is calling us to a life of making disciples, of just living with Jesus like day by day with others and then through us, that joy of seeing other people meet Jesus. That's, that's powerful stuff. So um, that's how we make disciples here and we're trying to do it just like Jesus did, okay? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So the rest of this chapter, you guys, it's awesome because imagine you got these four fishermen. I mean, all they've been doing is catching fish. You know, again, if Jesus is picking a dream team, I don't think he's gone to the right place. Like when you think he'd go like to wherever they train scholars or wherever they, he went to the guys fishing. But these four guys start following Jesus. And I love what the first day with Jesus was like. Okay, so let's keep reading. It says, so Jesus and these four guys, they go to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and he was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. So a couple things, synagogues were these kind of like churches set up in different parts um, all around Israel where the believers would gather and pray and worship and read from the Old Testament. The teaching there tended to be done by scribes, by scholars who would sit and just kind of read um, principles kind of from the Old Testament. And unfortunately, the tone of this teaching was more like, uh, you should do this. You've got to keep doing this. You God really wants you to do this. And so you go, and in general, the tone would just kind of like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. And then he would just kind of leave like, oh, great. I had a lot to do when I came here. Now I got a lot more to do, and this is just overloaded. This is like wearing me out. And so in comes Jesus. Whole different tone in his teaching. Jesus said um, that if you abide in his word, then you will be set free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a whole different tone to Jesus' teaching. Whenever Jesus gives you a command, he also gives you the power to fulfill it. Or whenever Jesus shows you something to do, the tone is, so let's go do that. Let's do that. You and me, my Holy Spirit in you, it's another lesson. Let's, let's go do that. It's not like you should, you should, you aren't, you're not good enough. That's, please, if you hear that, uh, from the preaching at Parkview, that is wrong. Like, that's not, it should not be duty, duty, law, law, rule, rule. It should be Jesus is awesome. And, and what he teaches is awesome. And then his ability to help us get there is awesome. And so when Jesus finished the first sermon in this church, it was like, that was astonishing. Like, everybody's like fired up. Like, we like this preacher. Get this guy here every week. And so, and so there's James and John, like the first time, like following Jesus, seeing him preach. And the people are astonished as teaching. Again, we've, we have, uh, a lot of us have to um, let who Jesus really is 
just kind of change what we think about Jesus. I know for some of us, we just read through the Gospels, and it's just kind of like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand that. Like, if you were in person hearing Jesus say those words, like, it's electric. Like, crowds gathered. People were astonished and amazed at his teaching. And I think bottom line, because it just connects with the human soul, that we don't need more rules. We don't need, we already know we're jacked up and <laughs> screwed up. Like, we don't need to be told that more. We need, we need a savior. We need somebody who's not going to show us what's true, but who's going to help us get there. And that teaching is astonishing. It sets us free. And so then he goes on and says, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to, so this is a demon, a man, a demon speaking through a man, all right? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. It's the same word that he's going to use in Mark 4 to calm the stormy seas, where he just said, be still, and the waves stopped. He's saying the same thing to this demon, just shut up. It's basically what he's saying. And the unclean spirit uh, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they were questioning among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Like sometimes we can just read that and it's kind of like, eh, this was a shock to these guys. Like, first you're in a church. Like, the last thing you expect is a demon to show up. Especially, like, I imagine the demons left that place alone. When it was rabbi and scribe just telling the people, you're not good enough, you need to do this. Satan looks at that and goes, leave that alone. That guy's doing our job for us, right? He's crushing people down. He's discouraging them. They're not going to turn to God. Like, let's leave them alone. Jesus shows up, though, and begins to teach truth, begins to teach the gospel, and Satan goes, wait, I can't let that happen. I, I can't let that message get out. You know, I, I feel like we're going to talk about this more in Mark chapter 3, but there's definitely times in the Gospel of Mark where we're going to hear about demons, and I can almost feel the collective eye roll, you know, from a nat naturalistic culture, society. There's no such thing as a spiritual world. There's no such thing as demons. It's interesting, Baylor University did a study, and it's like 95% of Americans believe there's a world beyond this world. So you got the scholars telling us, oh, it doesn't exist. It's kind of like the Bible talks openly that, yeah, there is a spiritual world, there is a spiritual realm, and there is an enemy who hates you, who would hate for you to believe God, who would hate for you to trust God, who would hate for you to believe that God is good. In fact, he's going to tempt you to think if you follow God, it's going to end up bad for you. You're going to be miserable. Uh, you're missing out. God's holding out on you. You should do whatever you want to do. It makes more sense. Like, there's so many subtle lies that this enemy likes to shoot at us that the way you confront those lies are with the words of Jesus, okay? The reason the demon appears like he's trying to shut Jesus up, Jesus says, just shut up. Get out of here. I'm going to keep teaching truth, all right? And so we're seeing here the authority of Jesus that his words were powerful and astonishing. But when the words of Jesus are taught, the lies we believe in are exposed. The lies we believe, we believe that God is no good and all those things, that Jesus' teaching exposes those lies and points us to what's actually true. And, and he sets us free. 
So there's, there's astonishment. These guys are saying, whoa, my first day with Jesus, he gives this sermon. Everybody's freaking out and going crazy. They love it. Then he's casting out a demon and his fame is spreading all around. Right after this, Jesus leaves the service and he goes to Peter's house. And we're not gonna have time to go through this, but Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's a fever. It's probably a disease and that's a symptom. And Jesus heals her immediately. We're gonna talk more about healing as we go through Mark. And she's fully restored, and she just gets up and serves. She starts serving them the Sabbath dinner, like just complete healing. There we are. And so it says that Jesus was already so famous in this region, just from sermon, demon, and now cure, that till late in the night, the whole village, the whole city was just pounding at Peter's door. Like they're just there. Until late in the night, Jesus is healing and comforting people and casting out demons until, until really late at night. So again, if we could somehow come across the, um, the, the Facebook from that day for Simon, right, Andrew, James, John, or find their notebooks or their journals, like what was the first day with Jesus like? Those guys would say, Jesus is astonishing. Like this is unbelievable what this guy, what this I, what this guy can do. And I've just got to ask myself, and I got to ask you, is that are we in awe? Are we in awe of Jesus? Like, do we really see who he is? Because I'll be blunt, if we're not in awe of Jesus, why would we want to follow him? Like, why would we want him to be part of our day? Why would we rearrange our schedule to follow him? If we're not in awe of him, if he's just like some irrelevant guy that wore a bathrobe 2,000 years ago and got beat up a lot and like quoted poetry, like we're not gonna, yeah, sign me up to follow that guy. But if you see that this guy truly is the son of God, that his teaching, that his healing, that his authority is absolutely astonishing, we'd be first in line. We'd be pushing everybody's side like, I wanna follow that guy. And that's so key. Uh, Paul Tripp has done a lot of writing about the awe of God, and he says this, um, that uh, I'm off track. Let me find it. It's good. Hang with me. It'll be worth it. I, the greatest danger in our ministry is to lose our awe of God. Like, as soon as we've lost our awe of, of Jesus, it's, it's kind of done. Like, we're not going to really influence other people. We're not going to really, really grow in our faith, but I got to ask, do we really see that Jesus is astonishing. And if, again, if we're not seeing that, that's a me problem, not a Jesus problem. And so the prayer of our heart needs to be, Jesus, would you show me who you are? Would you open my eyes through the gospel of Mark? Would you open my eyes this fall to show me that you truly are awesome? All right, so, um, so that's day one, all right? And if I was those guys, I'd be thinking like, man, this is great. The next day, the next day is even, I, I, to me, what they saw the next day would just completely blow me away too. And these next two things you're gonna see are, are completely surprising. That's the thing about Jesus is he will constantly shock you. He, he will show you and do things that you would never expect. And so that's what happens to these guys. So Mark 135, we'll pick up the story there. Remember, multitudes, crowds of people pounding the house till late at night. And now it says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said, everyone's looking for you. And he said, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So if, let's say, somehow, physically, we were able to just walk with Jesus while he was on the planet and just, just see what he did every day. 
I think we would be completely blown away by how often Jesus just got away by himself. Yeah, I mean, when you think like, oh, he's God, he's got kind of a, the clock's ticking, he's got 18 months. I bet he was always with people. His daytime was just filled, his schedule was just filled with people, appointments and this and that. You'd be shocked how many just big blocks of time that Jesus just set apart. And it's just like time with my father, time with my father, time with my father. Luke, the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Jesus uh, lived in solitude quite a bit. In fact, you'll see a rhythm, and we're going to see this in a couple weeks too, that the rhythm of healthy ministry is that you are filled with your time with God, and then you go and you give out and you share what God gave you. And then you go back and you get more from God, and then you go and you serve. That's a healthy rhythm. There's a, a pastor I've admired for a long time. He's in Denton, Texas. He actually used to play quarterback for North Texas, so too bad for them yesterday. But um, he has a quote that says this, if your output exceeds your input, your upkeep will become your downfall. If your output exceeds your input, your upkeep will become your downfall. And that's the, 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 the nature of, of ministry. And I'll be honest, of being a good mom, of being a good dad, of being, you know, like the healthy rhythm is I get filled up from, from God and now I go and I give and I go share with the people in my life. So Jesus doesn't just teach us that that's a healthy rhythm, but Jesus modeled that. Can you just think about what that is saying? Jesus is admitting that he's weak. He's fully God, but he's fully man. And in his humanity, he got burned out. Yeah, I mean, when, don't you get tired of people sometimes? <laughs> I just, don't you get, I mean, and he's not afraid to show us his weakness. And so out of that weakness, he shows us a healthy discipline of, of coming before the Father and just praying and being there. And I just wonder, there's a couple things that I'm wondering about you. Like, this isn't one of those guilt trip points like, so, you know, like, but, but be honest. Like, if we're not, if we're not praying, if we're not, like, in, in solitude regularly, just think about what we're saying. We're saying, yeah, Jesus needed that, but, you know, he was weak. I got this. Like, I don't need that kind of, you know, like, that, that sounds bad, right? So, that's kind of what we're saying. If we don't look at our schedule and see the same rhythm of, yeah, I'm with the Father, and now I'm serving, and I'm with the Father, and I'm, like, see those times, like, prioritized. Uh, that, that's an arrogant statement. Like, okay, Jesus needed that, but it's not for me. Okay, let me, let me go a little deeper. Why just be honest, like, what is it about just you being in solitude uh, is scary? I think there's something scary that we don't always admit. I think even when we're alone, sometimes we'll just play something or we'll listen to something, and we just, we're uncomfortable with silence. You know what, I, I think we're uncomfortable with silence and solitude because we don't really like the company. We don't really like who we're with. Like, when you shut everything down, and it's just you and silence, let alone just you before God, there's a lot of times we don't like that. When it's just me, I can think about um, things I regret. I can think about um, painful things in my life. You know, when the noise isn't there and it's just me, um, I think things like that I'm afraid of can pop up. And that, that's not a lot of fun. So it's just, oh yeah, let's just watch something. Let's just flip on. Let's just call somebody. Let's just go do something. Let's just fill the schedule. 
And it's just like, um, I think we're missing out on what that time with God is meant to be. Like, I don't, it doesn't mean that that's a time where you're perfect and you come with your Bible and you open it and you fold your hands, good little Christian, just there to be with God. Like, guys, your time with God is essential because we all, we all have that junk. Like, when we think about it, it's just me before God. Oh my goodness, like, this is gross. Like, look at, look what I've done. Look what I said. Look at my life. Look at, you know, but the Father says, just come, bring that stuff. And let's just come. And, and why don't you just give that to me? Why don't we talk? I know there's other things we could talk about. Why don't we just talk about what's on your heart right now? What are you ashamed of? Let's talk about that. What are you afraid of? Who are you worrying about? Let's, let's start there. That's, that's the heart of your father. One of my kids just came back from college. It's her first time back. I mean, it's four weeks. But I missed her like crazy, you know? And so when she came back yesterday and just told stories, I mean, I loved hearing what's going on, you know, the good and the bad. Guys, I'm a sinful, horrible father. The holy God invites you to that place where you just come and just tell him what's on your heart. And then in that context, he will show you what's true from his word, and he invites you to pray for those things. And, and that's where the refreshing comes. I don't know what you think Jesus did when he was alone with his father, but I don't think it was all just the pretty little I think there was times of anguish. I think there was times of hurt. I think there was times of confusion. And there's Jesus before his father. And so um, I think that part would just blow these guys away. Jesus prayed a ton. And Jesus would tell us, guys, this isn't just a duty that I'm telling you to do. You need this. You, you need this. And so whatever that means to even rearrange this week, if that's those are five-minute steps for you this week where you just, let's shut everything off. Let's just come into God's presence. Uh, if it's 10 minutes or if you've got little kids at home, it means, Dad, you're fighting for time for your wife to go get that, and wife, you're taking the kids and giving Dad time for that. But just, just get that rhythm in there. Jesus often withdrew to solitary places and prayed. And so, so they saw that, and that was powerful. One other thing that just totally blew them away. I, I don't think they would have expected this. So now they're traveling. They're going village to village. And one thing Jesus got in that time of prayer was perspective. He, remember, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. Everybody wants you to go back and heal and cast out demons. And Jesus got clarity. The gospel of Mark is a fast-moving gospel. 44 times the word immediately, immediately, immediately. But there's three times, he slams on the brakes, and Jesus stops and prays. And in each of those times, there's like a fork in the road. What should Jesus do? Should he go back to Capernaum? Or should he just keep going to the villages? And in that time of alone, away from everybody, away from the demands, Jesus hears, you're going to go preach in other places. So Jesus goes and he preaches in other places. And as they're going to one of those remote villages, a leper comes up to him. Verse 40. Guys, this is powerful. A leper came to Jesus and implored him, begged him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. When my kids were little, we used to act out Bible stories. Whoever was the turn to be the leper, we would just take a roll of masking tape, make a bunch of balls, and stick it like all over them. And they would be the leper. Oh, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then whoever was Jesus would come and just wipe off all the, all the masking tape balls, right? So love this story. A lot of good memories for me. But this had to completely blow Simon, Andrew, James, and John away. Because in Jesus' day, lepers... It's just, it could probably be one of the most um, horrific ways to live your life is to be a leper. Not only did you have a physically debilitating and incredibly painful disease, but socially you were an outcast. You were not allowed to live among the real people, the normal people, the healthy people. You had to live outside. And if somebody happened to come your way, like accidentally start walking close to you as a leper, you were supposed to yell, unclean or leper. So they would just immediately be warned and walk away because a couple things about you. You would be contagious. You would stink. This disease caused your flesh to rot. And so there would literally be a stench about being around a leper. And you would look hideous. Like literally chunks of skin would die and decay. So your face and your extremities would just be horrific. So anybody that happened to come into your presence would just be overwhelmed and you just can imagine the physical pain, but also the social isolation and rejection. And so here's this guy coming up to Jesus, says, if you will, you can make me clean. I don't think he's doubting, can Jesus do this? Jesus can heal him. I think he knew that. That's why he approached Jesus. I think his question was, will Jesus do this? Will Jesus have compassion on someone like me? And Jesus, I mean, if it were me and I was Jesus, this healing would have been like a three-point range healing. Like, this would have been a long-distance dedication. Like, you're healed, buddy. Like, just stay away from me. I don't want to see you. Like, Jesus did the exact opposite. He went up and he touched this guy. The first time that guy had been touched since he had, had his leprosy. That, that touch of compassion. And then the word, I am willing, be clean, and to immediately be cleaned. What a powerful statement as Simon, Andrew, James, and John are just watching Jesus like, this guy is amazing. This guy, this guy loves. And for that leper, again, just to experience that, the big question, would you want to? And Jesus says, yes. Touches him, heals him. When you look at the Bible, the disease of leprosy, I think in many ways, reflects uh, the disease we all have. It reflects the disease of sin, that it's it's contagious. It uh, impacts not only us, but the people around us. And so, I mean, literally tomorrow when we go to work or school, we ought to be like yelling, sinner, <laughs> sinner, like stay away from me. I got something that's incredibly destructive in me. And so um, sometimes what keeps people from really moving toward Jesus is, uh, is would Jesus want to forgive somebody like me? Would Jesus want to restore somebody like me? Would Jesus want someone like me to follow him? And the answer, loud and clear from the leper, is he's willing. He's willing. He can cleanse us fully from sin. And so not only for you guys, this is so important for you to be a follower of Christ. Like, can I follow him in spite of all that I've done, in spite of like what I'm going to probably do this week? I'll say this morning, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and then I'm going to do something stupid again. Like, is he going to continue to walk with me compassionately and cleanse me? And the answer is yes, he will. And then he will not only do that for you, but he will give you that kind of compassion for whoever the lepers are in your life. 
like whoever it is that you would walk out today, maybe pass on the street or see in a hallway tomorrow and go, man, I don't like that guy. It's like, okay, Jesus says, I'm I'm gonna heal you and I'm gonna give you compassion so that you will truly be a fisher, fisher of men. So the invitation, guys, for all of us is out there. Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I want you to learn from me. I want to astonish you with my teaching. I want to set you free from, from the ways the lies have been holding you down. Um, I want to invite you into a rhythm of meeting with me, of being real with me, and then me sending you out with compassion and with power to, to, to influence the people around you so that they too will start following Jesus too. It's an amazing and astonishing invitation. Imagine the end of your life, um, your funeral, and... Uh, that room literally being just filled with people that aren't there. You've been to some funerals where you can tell people are just going through the motions, <laughs> trying to dig for something to say good about the person. But what about those funerals where you go and you go, that guy changed my life. That guy loved me. That guy loved me when nobody else would. That guy walked with me. That guy, you know, like those kind of things don't just happen from a normal life. Those come from the men and women who follow Jesus and who Jesus makes into fishers of men. That's a cause that will last for all of eternity, a cause you would never regret being a part of. Let me, let me pray. So Jesus, uh, thank you um, that you are astonishing, that you're not just some religious guy we made stuff up about that actually is really boring and irrelevant, but just thank you that you are the son of God. And it's amazing that out of your love and compassion for us, you invite us to follow you and you invite us to be a part of something way bigger than ourselves. Please keep showing us what it means to follow you. Even this morning, God, whatever it is that you spoke to us, help us, help us take that next step of following you, of spending time with you, of trusting that you will forgive us of our sin and make us fishers of men so other people can know you too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.